because I knew tough things. And I had a tough day all my life. And I can handle tough things. And every day that I progressed was a joy to me. And I recognized it every day. Welcome to the Perseverance Podcast, brought to you by the Ben Hogan Foundation. Each month we bring you an inspiring person who has persevered just like Mr. Hogan, or we discover who the mysterious Mr. Hogan truly was with the people that knew him the best. Co-hosted by Judd Pritchett, Robert Stennett, and myself, Josie Gregory Stankowitz. We hope you enjoy this one, and let's get into it. Hello, friends, and welcome to another Ben Hogan Foundation podcast. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Marty Leonard, daughter of Marvin Leonard. For a Hogan fan, you know that Marvin Leonard had a profound impact on the life of Ben Hogan and one of his closest friends in life. Marvin Leonard also had an amazing impact on Fort Worth and golf in our wonderful city. Welcome, Marty. Thank you, Robert. Nice to be here. Appreciate it. Tell us about your earliest recollection of time spent with Ben Hogan. I cannot tell you precisely when it was, probably, but Hogan, of course, was such a good friend of my father's that he was just like a a family friend. Probably the most distinctive memory I have, of course, is following him around the golf course every time I had an opportunity to, especially when he played at Colonial in the tournament. There, Valerie and and Ben were both friends of our family and were in our home from time to time. So, uh, you know, I knew he was special and unique in what he was able to do, but to me, he was also just one of my, my parents' friends. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us the story of Glenn Garden, your father, and... And uh, the young caddy he had there at Glen Garden named Ben Hogan. Needless to say, I wasn't around when that took place, but I most of it. But I certainly know, know, have a memory of it. I've heard it many, many times. And my dad was a merchant, worked pretty hard for a long time, and he was not having some health issues. And doctor told him he needed to get out and do something, get some exercise. So he went to Glen Garden. He decided to try to take up golf, and his first run at it was not very successful because he, he thought this is kind of silly chasing that little white golf ball around all over the place. But anyway, it took. And while he was there, happened to be the same time that Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson were both caddies at Glen Garden. And that's where my father became acquainted with Hogan originally was when he caddied for him there at Glen Garden. It's a great story, you know, and it's a, it's a wonderful story of the relationship that your father established with Mr. Hogan very, very early in his life. I think the the loops back in those days here in our times of inflation i think the loops were 65 cents or something was it i don't recall that but i'm sure that's probably right your father also had an amazing impact on golf in the city of fort worth he was responsible for three golf courses that i'm aware of yes he fell in love with golf (laughs) which a lot of people do and uh he just it was determined he wanted to build he visited some other golf courses and I think went to Augusta to the Masters at some point. I'm not absolutely certain about that, but I think so. And got some ideas from various places. We used to spend summers in the family in California in places like Santa Barbara and Pebble Beach and were exposed to those wonderful golf courses out there, the Valley Club in Santa Barbara and certainly uh, Pebble Beach in Cyprus, it, in, in, in the Pebble Beach area. And he, he, but he, before, prior to that, of course, he decided he wanted to build a golf course, found some property here. His main thrust, I think, was to build a club and a good, one outstanding 
first-class golf course, but he also wanted to see if he could attract the U.S. Open. It had never been south of Mason-Dixon line prior to it being held, and sure enough, he was able, with some help, I think, of others, persuade the USGA to have the 1941 Open here. And several years later, of course, 10 years later, I guess it was, they had the Women's Open as well. In any event, and then, of course, it became a country club. He wanted it to be a family club, and which it is and has been, and as well as still hosting tournament there, uh, the Colonial Tournament there, which is the longest-running uh, PGA event run by the members of any of the PGA events. But anyhow, and, and but that, as I said, we spent some time in California in the summers, and he started looking around at property out in California. I can remember going with my father and looking at different pieces of property. And, uh, uh, and his intent was to build a golf course there. But when Mr. Eamon Carter died, he, had, he and Dad had looked at this property together somewhere in the past. Anyway, nothing came of that particular transaction, but after Mr. Carter died, Daddy was contacted by his lawyer, Jenkins Garrett, and said, Mr. Carter wants you to have this 1,200 acres here, and where Shady Oaks now is, and so he built Shady Oaks here instead, and thank goodness it's here and not in, not in uh, California, where it could, it could have been. And then, he still wasn't quite satisfied. He, Daddy was not a rancher, but he bought a ranch about an hour away, away from Fort Worth. It was pretty run down, and there, there was a creek that ran through it, but anyway, no, no improvements on it really at all. And that's where he decided to build his last golf course. And it's, it's a pretty unique golf course. It's called Star Hollow. It's sort of named after Belle Star, the female outlaw that they think spent some time there. So he built, uh, he built that in his last years, and he didn't get to enjoy it for very many years. He died, uh, became ill and died. But it's, Hogan played there. One time, Daddy had a group of people out there. Of course, his friends that he wanted to have out there, and Hogan played. And the story goes, he told, he said, Marvin, I just can't play out here. And he said, well, why not? He says, it's too quiet. So, and it is peaceful and quiet. It's, it's really ranch land. And, uh, but it's a nine-hole golf course with two uh, tees on every hole and two flags on every green, so that you play it around twice. And it's built around a 90-acre lake. And he built the lake. He built this big dam out there. He could vision. Dad, my father had such vision, and uh, he was able to not only see how things could be, but then make them happen. Not every, not not many of us can do that. I can't. So certainly, but but anyway, that's the nature of the three golf courses that he built. And. Uh, uh, it was a, a real joy in his life, and even though, as I say, his business was as, was as a merchant, but uh, he certainly impacted the golf community in Fort Worth, no question about it. And he had another thing he did in the year he built Colonial, 1936, he started the Fort Worth City Junior Golf Tournament, which is a free tournament for uh, youngsters in high school, or younger than that too, but it's, 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 it's been going on ever since and still is held every year. And, and actually gets to play some of the golf courses like Shady Oaks and the kids do during that time frame and, and Colonial. What so, a wonderful legacy. Colonial, Shady Oaks, and Star Hollow. What a great contribution to, to our city and our community. Absolutely. You told me one time an interesting story in 1949 of Mr. Hogan's car accident and your father getting a call in the middle of the night and Mr. Hogan was in the hospital. I think he was there in El Paso. And uh, My recollection of that, of course, I was a youngster then too, somewhat. 
And uh, I rem thing I distinctly remember, of course, I knew about the accident. Father got a call in the middle of the night, and I remember waking up hearing, I guess, the phone ring, and waking up, and I didn't know exactly what was going on at the time, but it turned out to be that they somebody had contacted him, I'm not sure who, but wanted his help to see if he could get an airplane, get Dr. Oshner from Oshner Clinic in New Orleans to go to El Paso, to fly to El Paso, and do some surgery that Hogan needed on his legs at that point. And he con my father contacted, he had some general contacts or contacts at what was the Carswell Air Force Base. It picked up Dr. Oster and flew him out there and he did the surgery on Hogan, probably saved his life. Yeah, that's what the understanding is, was he was the best surgeon in that specialty in the world and they got the best surgeon there at El Paso to save Mr. Hogan's life. Absolutely, I'm sure he wasn't, my father wasn't the only one involved, but he was definitely involved in that situation. So. One of the things that I think is really neat in a way that you knew Mr. Hogan that very, very few people do, and I think probably very few of our listeners know, was that Mr. Hogan was a good dancer. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that, Marty. <laughs> I think those were in his later years, maybe a little bit, but not, not real late years, but because he was still very active. But I can remember watching him a time or two dancing. He danced with my mother some, and he danced, of course, with Valerie, his wife, and, and he danced with uh, his sister, sister-in-law, uh, Sarah Harriman. He was just as smooth. He, he, he took lessons from a young couple here that taught, I forget, they were with one of the dance companies, and he took lessons, because he hadn't, I guess he had probably never danced and didn't know how to dance. And this is more like old-timey ballroom dances, not like it is nowadays, but he'd glide around the floor, and, and he seemed to be, he always seemed to enjoy it. I think his golf game was better than his dancing, probably, but, uh, but it was pretty but good. he was a good he, dancer. He was a good dancer, and I think he enjoyed it, too, yeah. Our Ben Hogan Breakfast Club is back. On November 16th, 2022, we are going to be over at Heim Barbecue in White Settlement with Mr. Ryan Palmer. Yes, you had that right. Ryan Palmer, four times PGA Tour winner, is coming out to Heim Barbecue in White Settlement for our Ben Hogan Breakfast Club. If you would like to attend the event, please email info at benhoganfoundation.org. As we have limited space available, please make sure that you do RSVP at info at benhoganfoundation.org if you wish to attend the event on November 16th, 2022 at Heim Barbecue in White Settlement. All right, let's get back to Marty and Robert. I'm looking at a beautiful pin golf club that's got some initials on it that uh, Mr. Hogan created especially for you. Well, I was, of course, I was a fan of his to say the least. <laughs> and of course he was a family friend. And for some reason, Valerie, his wife, always told me that Ben actually did this himself. He, he picked this, it's a small golf club and it's, it's, uh, it's got BH to ML, which is Ben Hogan to Marty Leonard on the club head, it's so small you barely can see it, but it is there. And uh, needless to say, I, uh, uh, I'm i sure as a child, I probably, or as a youngster, I probably didn't appreciate it near as much as I do now and have ever since. And so it's it's a real treasure and, and means a whole lot that I know that he actually uh, chose it to give it to me for uh, by himself. Very special. Very special, yes, it definitely is. And uh, I like to try to share it with others as much as I can because it means, it, it, just like the inscription in the book, because it means a lot to people and to the memory of, 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 of Ben. One of the things, um, uh, also uh, one of the things that you've helped preserve with Mr. Hogan's legacy 
is his last car. And you load it to the Ben Hogan Foundation for the invitational that we have. And I know our patrons just love taking a picture in Mr. Hogan's car and you take it to Colonial for the Ben Hogan Award. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, after Hogan died and uh, uh, some period of time, of course, they were disposing of, uh, in one way or the other, of a lot of things. And his last Cadillac, it was a 90 Brom, uh, 98, I think. When did he die? I've forgotten. The uh, year. I think he died in 97, so it's probably a 97. Yeah, 96 I think or it's 98, I think. Yeah. But anyway, you know, that's a head on yeah. cars. But any, in any of it, it's a beautiful black car, the maroon interior. And anyway, it was given to a charity here, a local charity here in Fort Worth. And uh, they put it on eBay, I believe, or on something to try to sell it. And I guess they just never could get. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how I was involved with it at that point, but somehow I knew I was aware of it, and they couldn't get what they thought it was worth or whatever. I said, well, I'll buy that car. So I bought it for $8,000. Yeah. Had about 20,000 miles on it, because he only drove it from his home, which is nearby Shady Oaks, and to Shady Oaks and back, and that was about the extent of, of it. So it had, and the other interesting thing about the car was, I found a, uh, in the ashtray, which they used to have in cars, I guess they don't now, but a cigarette butt. And when I discovered that, of course, most everybody knows Hogan was a smoker, and uh, as was my father, for that matter, but uh, I took it out of the car. I decided if, it, if, if I left it in there, somebody would abscond with it and claim it was Hogan's cigarette butt, which I assume it is. I don't know that for a fact, but, uh, but I've had a lot of fun with the car. I've used to take it out to the Colonial Tournament during the... Colonial Tournament out there, and Shady Oaks uses it for your uh, Hogan events. And as you said, people seem to get a big kick out of it. And uh, it's a beautiful old car, and uh, so I've had a lot of fun with it. It's very unique, an amazing draw. You attended the 1960 U.S. Open at Cherry Hills and followed Mr. Hogan. One that's etched in my memory very clearly. So uh, my husband and I and my mother and father had the opportunity to go up to the uh, 1960 U.S. Open in Denver, Cherry Hills, and we rode the train up there, and because that's what my father preferred to do, didn't like to fly. But anyhow, and we were with the Hogan's a little bit. Of course, it was during the tournament, so obviously he was concentrating on what he was doing, and we did have dinner with him one night. I remember that, and of course I followed him every day for four days every step of the way and as golf historians will recall it was a pretty unique u.s open uh, hogan was was it looked like he was going to win the tournament at the end and, and then on 17 and i was right there and saw this happen he uh hit what he thought was a pretty claim was the perfect wet shot into the green and uh but it had so much uh, spin on it that the ball backed off the green in the water and then he tried to hit it, and then, of course, he hit it in the water on 18, then, but he lost the Open, and Palmer won, and it was his first U.S. Open win. The thing I probably remember better than anything about it was that, because I say I followed him, watched every shot, that when he finally, I followed him on through 18, of course, and then I can remember that I simply went out in the parking lot and cried. But it was such an emotional thing because it was so important to him, for sure, and I felt so bad about it. So it was quite a unique experience. I remember a, a video they did of Mr. Hogan late in his life, and he was being interviewed, and he was talking about the 1960 U.S. Open. I remember vividly the words that he used. And again, he was an, he was an older man, and this was 30, 40 years after this occurred. 
when they asked him about it, he said, there's not a day goes by that that doesn't eat my guts out. Yeah. And he said that with just amazing intensity that really surprised me how uh, impactful that was to Mr. Hogan that many years after the fact. Well, you know, you use the word intensity, and what a perfect word to describe him, you know, in his whole career, because that's how he, he, he the intensity he did everything and learned the golf game, which he had to learn it. You know, he didn't know anything. He didn't grow up playing golf or anything like that, and so he had to learn the game himself and pretty much self-taught. <laughs> And uh, he was just so dedicated to what he did, and uh, it was his life. And it shows with the results. You know, we talked earlier about uh, Ben Hogan that uh, a lot of people didn't know, and you and I were fortunate to, uh, I knew Mr. Hogan much later in life, and you know, I often say I knew him more in his grandfatherly stage, you know, but I knew a, a guy that was generally the first person to say hello to you when he'd walk in the 19th hole, and a and a different person than what I think a lot of people read about the intense golfer. But I recall a, um, a picture of you and Mr. Hogan in front of Shady Oaks, and Mr. Hogan is pinching his nose and pointing to the right after you hit a golf ball, obviously making a little fun of your golf game. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was a fun time. Fortunately, there's more than one photograph, and he's not holding his nose every time. <laughs> so maybe I got better, I don't know, in trying to hit it. But it was a posed thing, of course. He was standing there uh, behind me or beside me, I guess. And, and of course, you can see me, and I'm swinging in. And I played a lot of golf early in life, and uh, uh, you can see me smiling at the time. So it was obviously a pose kind of thing. But it... When I've been asked through the years, and I've been asked a lot of times, of course, since my father's been gone as well, but about Hogan, and I said, if you want to know that he had a sense of humor, this is the best example that I personally have. And of course, he used to call himself Henny Bogan, you know, all the time, too. That was another thing. He sort of made fun of, his, of himself. So he definitely had a sense of humor, as intense as he was. We keep using that word, but but he was. He just single-minded, uh, you know, the golf was his life really and along with Valerie of course and uh, so that was a fun experience of course to have with him. That's a great picture yeah. and a great memory. Yeah. What's your favorite Hogan story? Oh goodness um, I guess I'd have to say uh, and this is I don't know if it's the story because I of course I remember following around particularly out at Colonial all the time you know and I was just captivated with it because I love golf myself and the fact that he was our good family friend and he was so famous and all and and uh, uh, one of the stories that I love to tell is is uh, they honored my father after so many years at Colonial and Hogan was one of the key speakers and uh, we have it actually on tape and video and uh, I don't remember exactly how but he was very he, he made a talk about my father did it in a very uh, humorous way and very effective. You uh, you maybe have never heard that, but it was it was Herb Graffis was there. Do you remember who he was? Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, and uh, Joe Dye and several mm -hmm. several people. But his 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 uh, sense of humor was uh, was very evident in, at different times, and that's another time that I remember that. Yeah. A lot of people that don't know, you know. And another side, Ben, is in in his rough, kind of tough way that he seemed to be, which he was, and he had to be to do what he did, and to live through the accident and come back and make the comeback that he did, there was a tender side to him. 
and it evidenced itself in different ways. I'm sure some that I don't know about, but one I do recall is that we had a, a stray dog, actually it was a neighbor's dog, that hung around the golf course at Shady Oaks all the time. A buster. Yeah, it was one sure. boy. There were two, actually two different dogs at different times, but there, we, there's a photograph of Hogan when, when uh, Buster died. And, and I don't know if they buried him on the golf course, but somewhere there, and there's a picture of him. I think, I think he's kneeling down. Uh-huh. I can't remember. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Do you recall that? And he yeah. takes his hat off. Uh-huh. Kneel and, down yeah, at his grave. Take his hat at his grave. That doesn't tell you something about yeah. the man. He loved that dog. And uh, that was a tenderness, I thought, that really exemplified that tenderness. Yeah, people don't realize that Mr. Hogan was... He didn't have any children, but he loved kids. And I first knew Mr. Hogan as a young kid. Well, that's true. And uh, and he loved dogs. Yeah, he was a dog lover. Well, he had a dog. And you're a dog lover. You know, I'm a dog lover too, yes. And I'm a dog lover. Yeah, that's that's good. Putter was the last dog they had, I know. And they never wanted to get another one after Putter died, I think. But You know, with regards to how special of a relationship that your father had with Mr. Hogan, in a book that you possess... Mr. Hogan wrote a beautiful inscription to your father. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yes, I can. It's in the Power Golf, which was his, I believe, his first uh, book that he did, instruction book that he did uh, after my father died. I, I don't know. I'm not sure I ever saw this before while my father was still alive. But as we were going through things and keeping things and that sort of thing, I found this Power Golf book, and the inscription in the front of it is to Marvin Leonard best friend I will ever have. Had my father lived, I would have wanted him to be just like you. So that tells you their relationship is best I could ever, better than I could ever describe it. How he felt certainly about my father and it was mutual. They both felt the same way about it. And it was sort of a, a daddy helped him on the tour when he first started. Of course he got to know him as a caddy and then when he got on the tour he it wasn't a lot of money back then, but he, I've, I've got evidence of the money that was sent to him at, in the museum at Colonial and uh, at home as well. But uh, originally had the relationship as the caddy golfer, but then it became, of course, friends. And I, I, I described their friendship as it was almost like a father-son to some degree. Could have been with a different age difference in it in that way, but also just good friends and business. But he, my father helped him when he as well as others did, too, when he started the Hogan Company. He was involved in that relationship as well when he was making the club. So. What a treasure that is. Oh, it what is. a beautiful tribute. legacy to your father, tribute to your father of that inscription from Mr. Hogan. You could see how genuine and how sincere no that was to his dear friend Marvin Leonard. Absolutely. Well, Marty, thank you for helping us celebrate two two wonderful legacies. The legacy of your father, Marvin Leonard, and the legacy of the late, great Ben Hogan. It's been a pleasure visiting with you today about your father and his special relationship with Mr. Hogan. We thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a real privilege to get to, and, and I feel very blessed that I was able to know a lot of others, of course, but two men like Hogan and my father, they were both special in different ways. Very special. To our listeners, keep an eye out for another Ben Hogan Foundation podcast soon. We'll look forward to more interesting guests and fun comp podcasts on Mr. Hogan and his foundation established to honor his legacy. Thank you for joining in today, and we'll see you back soon. In the meantime, 
keep them in the fairway.